Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So first question, I popped it into the answer. It has been about 10 months since D-Day when I disclosed to my wife my use of porn and many lies that surrounded that. No physical or emotional affairs, no chat rooms. I've been sober for nine months as defined by SA.org. I go to recovery meetings weekly. I have a CSAT and joined 12-step programs a month, a month ago. She has asked for a divorce multiple times and we have got close to it about four months ago, but she decided to stay with me and we worked on our marriage for two months. Unfortunately, I still dismissed her feelings to a lesser degree and told partial truths about current events, not about past behaviors, and she is back asking for a divorce. I'm not surprised. How do, how do I know that if this is my wife in betrayal trauma or normal um, behavior vacillating back and forth on wanting a divorce. It, if divorce is on the table, should I stop responding to her fully and emotionally? We have four children, so we see each other almost every day. Mm. Well, I don't think a relationship where people see each other every day and not necessarily because the children, I have a feeling these people could figure out getting grandma or grandpa to pick them up. They see each other every, almost every other we see each other almost every day because they want to. So I think there's still a connection there and I would be hopeful for this couple. But um, what I would say to you, Tammy, and I bet you'll say it, I bet you'll say it right back, is that this has been such a short period of time, um, 10 months since she found this out, um, uh, porn and lies. And, and then um, You've just been in this nine months. You just started a 12-step program. And just, I mean, it could be in the last six months, but to me, that's like yesterday. And certainly to her. Um, I hear from spouses who go as far as to say, if, you know, I may want to divorce you, that they see you lacking empathy about what you've put them through, that they see you being defensive. Oh, well, it wasn't really that, or it was really this. They see you... Um, you know, uh, not being entirely honest about what you did today, where you went today, where, you know, or being annoyed that they asked you. So first of all, even if you're being the most perfect spouse ever and recovering person, your wife is in trauma and she is going to go back and forth. Um, she's on a roller coaster. And I suggest you re read a book that I wrote. It's called Out of the Doghouse, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. I'll fix that subtitle someday. But out of the doghouse is for men to get a clue because it's not just sex addicts. Men don't really seem to have a clue in my experience how to make up the pain of betrayal to a woman because they don't understand generally the depth of pain they've caused. So your wife may be going back and forth. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you for a year or more. And so for you to try to make anything out of that, whether she's staying or going, I think is, um, is to not understand the challenges that she's facing because she does love you, want to be with you one day, and she does hate you, want to leave you another. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on with you today. Um, maybe just seeing you reminds her of everything that happened. So to me, she's right where she needs to be. I think that she probably is not feeling that you fully understand what she's going through, or maybe you'd like her to, um, you know, in fact, I'll say that I, I don't know about the pain of having four kids and being talking about divorce, but for you to even be questioning 
whether she means it, does she not mean it? Should I base my behavior on what I'm reading? Tells me that you don't really understand what she's going through. So Tammy, you might have a different perspective. You, you are kinder than I am. So I'm sorry to this person because I'm going, you just started going to 12 step a month ago. So for nine months, you didn't, even if you cut it down to eight months, because um, I've been sober for eight months or nine months as defined by sa.org. And I joined a 12 step program a month ago. So a month ago, I, don't, I didn't get the I, month ago. Yes. So no, wait, oh yeah, what no, is, I, I go to, wait, I, I get it now. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. But, and I'm going, okay. So then about four months ago, we got close to divorce and then we decided to work on our marriage for two months. And then let's see what happens. Like this is a soap opera. Unfortunately, I dismissed her feelings to a lesser degree and told her partial truths about current events, not past behaviors. And she's back to asking a divorce because you don't feel safe to her. How is she supposed to feel safe when you're still telling half truths? Okay, so here's what I, here's my thoughts on this. And I'm going to be as nice as I possibly can about it. You can't do too much right now for your recovery. Going to see your CSAT, even if they're the most amazing CSAT, which, you know, Dr. Rob is like there. And even if he was seeing you, which he doesn't do individual therapy, going to a CSAT once a week for 50 minutes, when you've got years or decades of stuff that you're trying to do, and you've got a relationship in crisis, and you've got four children that you will always co-parent and co-grandparent, just saying. So, so the, your question, I'll cut to the chase. How do I know if my wife is in betrayal trauma? She is. And the vacillating is normal. You also haven't created safety. So Dr. Rob's recommendation on a book is a really good idea. But, it, but your question is, um, uh, should I stop responding to her fully and emo emotionally? Your problem is you have not fully and emotionally connected with her. You, you're mm -hmm. already not doing that. So yes, it's going to be scary for you. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. She's been in a vulnerable position, you know, for, you know, you have four kids, I, you know, if they're one, two, three, and four, you know, it's, I, I don't know, but if at the very end of the day, you need to do more, you need to have learned to have the, um, the ability to sit in the uncomfortable, not blame her, not minimize, to acknowledge, you know, what has happened for her and show up as, you know, as a partner, not as someone else that needs being taken care of. So now you're getting me all riled up. Tammy. So why, what I want to say to you is why don't you be less worried about having a bad day because she wants to divorce you or having a good day because she feels like divorcing you and think more about this person that you committed to, that you had four children with, that now can't decide whether they're gonna have a father around, that now, in fact, they don't all the time, that now is looking at being on her own as a single mother of four children, even if you're in relationships. So think about where a person would have to be to make those kinds of decisions around her children. And I think you could just begin to get a clue to how hurt and angry that she is. And by the way, she doesn't just feel not safe with you. She doesn't feel safe having her children around you. And maybe there's porn that they find. Maybe I just recently heard about dad was having sex in the living room with someone else when the kid opened the door. I hear all kinds of stories. So again, safety. Yeah, safety is these, these, this is not a woman who feels safe. Um, and your job is to help her feel safe because you made her feel unsafe. 
Um, and if you don't know how to do that, in 12-step program, you'll find people who will help you. And I wrote a, a book to help you as well. By the way, I get 12 cents for every book I sell. The rest goes to the publisher. So, you know, I'm not really selling big book numbers so that I can sell them here. Tammy, when's our next? Uh, I, well, I have I have one more thing I'm going to add. So actually, <laughs> two ads. Um, one is if you haven't already done so, and you didn't mention it, so I'm going to uh, take the leap and assume you haven't. But we have a Sex Addiction 101 work group starting on Saturday. It's a 90 minute facilitated with other men, and they talk about how do I, you know, engage truthfully. How do I learn to step into those spaces? How do I handle, you know, when there's uncomfortable feeling coming at me, which is exactly why we act out because we are un we don't want to deal with that. So. Again, it starts this Saturday. We run them every month, but I would encourage you to lean in further to working on the relationship. And one more, and I don't know if she's up for this, but um, uh, this will be the last opportunity this year for the Couples Healing from a Trail workshop, which will start next week, Thursday. So October 7th, that's a facilitated group. And it's how do we communicate? How do we navigate grieving losses together? I mean, there's a whole bunch of good things. That's on the seekingintegrity.com website under um, online workshops and lectures. But those are really relatively low cost, especially, you know, compared to a divorce. But, you know, I hear so often from the people that have participated, they're valid resources. They're really helpful. It'll help you work through the Sex Addiction 101 workbook. We have therapists. Mm. I mean, it's not the work that therapist, like you'll have more stuff to take back to your therapist. So it just helps you engage in a, you know, in a very different way. So, okay. That's, that's enough. Are we ready for the next question or did you have? Yes, ma'am. And I got something okay. to drink. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Dr. Rob, hi, Dr. Rob and Tammy, I'm male, gay, 51, married and a sex addict. I've been in recovery for seven months. I've been unemployed since April of 2020 and collecting unemployment benefits. Now that those benefits have dried up, I'd like to go back to work. My husband says, it doesn't make sense for you to go back to work. You're acting out when you were at working. So why would you go back to work help you, or why would going back to work help you stay sober? Is he right? Or should I make going back to work a personal boundary? Hmm. Well, I would say this very simply, and I might turn it over to Tammy. Um, I complete, well, I don't completely and fully, but I have a pretty good understanding of what partners go through when they are, they themselves are dealing with betrayal and hurt. And one of the primary things that happens with somebody who is so hurt is they want to control the situation so that they don't get any more pain. And we look at them and we say, well, what can I do to help you control the situation so you don't end up in more pain? But that's not the focus, unfortunately, to keep our spouses out of pain. We've already put them in pain. The goal is to not keep doing things that are putting them in pain. And so your focus has to be, in other words, what I'm saying is your husband cannot say, well, this, uh, this is going to help your recovery and this isn't going to help your recovery. And you have to do more of this. They can say that. And, but, um, but that may be more about their need to find out where you are that day and what time you were there and have some sense of control over you because um, you're going to act out whether you're home or whether you're out. You're going to act out on the way to lunch with a friend or you're going to act out when you volunteer. You're going to act out. I mean, uh, I wonder how much your husband doesn't know about how often you acted out when you weren't at work or when it wasn't a work day or when you're on a holiday or, you know, so I would say that he probably doesn't know as much as you do about the whole thing. And also that he's trying to control a situation so that he can feel safe. 
And I do think that, and I really do empathize with that. And by the way, I do think in terms of monitoring, if you will, that spouses get to know where we are and what we're doing and, and where, why are we late and what meeting are we going to? And, you know, they, they get to know all that because they don't feel safe. And that's part of our helping to them get safe again. But we still have to go to work. We still have to go to 12-step meetings. We have to go to therapy. Once in a while, we even need to, you know, play golf or go to the theater or do whatever we like because we have to have fun too. So, um, so I don't know if I'd answered that, Tammy, probably three times. Do you want to add to that, please? Well, um, you know, my, what my recovery is, it lets me participate fully in life. I don't have to just sit home. You know, I'm not supposed to just sit home. I'm supposed to have tools so that I can go out and and work and be a contributing member of society and, and engage with other people. And, you know, um, if I'm just sitting at home, I'm on Zoom, so I get that I'm not just sitting at home. But if I'm just sitting at home, you know, I'm not connected with other people. I'm not doing, you know, things that will. I meet all kinds of people. Well, I used to more during before COVID, but anyway, but like, like the, it was meaningful to me to meet people and learn more about them. And sometimes I have, you know, some things that can be of use to other people. So my thought was um, unemployment benefits are running out. I don't know if you were planning to go back to the same workplace, but perhaps your spouse would be, you know, feel better if you looked for a, you know, a different, yeah, I mean, we have lots of people that go, okay, the, that workplace is, you know, toxic now, so I need to go somewhere else. Okay, get a different job. Call your sponsor. If you need to call your sponsor, you know, text your sponsor. I'm I'm going to work. I'm going to text you after I get done with work. I'm going to text you at my lunch, whatever you need to do. I have people that have told me that they listen to our podcast on their lunchtime. Great. You know, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can engage the recovery. You know, there's 12 step meetings at, at noon. I go, you know, I go to a lunchtime meeting, you know, like that's a great thing for me to do. So, so there's so many ways to engage recovery in the workplace, in the real world. That's what we're supposed to do. So um, I would invite you, uh, but I, I really agree with what Dr. Rob said is your spouse is looking for safety. And um, so I hope your spouse is joining the support um, options. We have all kinds of betrayed partners support on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Hopefully, you know, has read pro-dependence, but is engaging with those resources. And hopefully, you know, in, as you have seven months of recovery, there's clear signs that you are making progress, progress in your recovery too. So. Out of the doghouse would be a good one for you too. So I wanted to just reinforce what Tammy said earlier, which is, you know, part of the personal boundary about going to work is if it's safe, you know, he says you acted out. Does that mean you act out at work, at work, on the way to work, after work? You know, what what circumstances related to work leaves your partner feeling unsafe? Was it simply that you weren't home? Or was that the ways and situations and or who you acted out with were people you work with, you know, stuff like that. So um, I wouldn't make it a boundary that I would go back to that situation because I think he has every right to say, I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, but I think to say I need to be occupied, I need to be in the world, I need to be productive is a very reasonable and important thing for you to be able to do. So, um, yeah, that's what I think. Thanks, Tim. Okay, My dog is question. whining. I think he I wants hear, I hear to play with him. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Hi, Dr. Rob. During disclosure, my essay husband revealed that he had acted out when my best friend of 40 years, many years ago, 
this has gotten me by two betrayals. I have decided mm -hmm. that I will be ending the friendship as I can no longer see her the same way. The consequence of his years of acting out have caused one more major loss to me. And it seems so unfair. My very remorseful husband offered to make a phone call to her and tell her that I know about the two of them and that I'm not moving forward with the friendship. Part of me wants to take him up on this offer so he feels some consequence of yet another part uh, thinks I should and oh wait and yet another part thinks I should be the one to speak to her what are your thoughts that's a that's a challenging question and so I let me just I understand I feel horrible for you for the double betrayal you are exactly right when it's family or friends you know that's two betrayals you know in in one when one situation so oh my turn I'm still reading through this because there's so much there and one of the things that I wonder about is, are you in therapy? What support do you have? I don't really see, like making decisions like this, it makes me think of a little bit about people who have child abuse and they work on it a little bit and they think, oh, I remember what happened. Now I'm gonna go to my abuser and really give it to them. You know, there feels a little bit of that here. Um, and I would feel that, that way too, based on what you're going through. I just, with this much violation, and this much of your having been victimized, I would make I would want to make sure that you're not making big decisions without a lot of support and a lot of people behind you. Because if you make decisions, either way, you're going to be making decisions around all of this that make you feel badly. Um, and you already feel badly. So I just hope that you're getting support. Um, I'm interested, by the way, and you put very remorseful in it in parens because it's it's it, it says something. I don't know what, but I, I question. If he's so remorseful, why didn't he deal with it years and years and years ago? He's only remorseful because you found out he doesn't really feel bad for you. He feels bad for him that he got found out. Now he has to deal with this big mess that he made. He didn't make the mess recently. He made the mess all those years ago. And now he's just paying the consequences. So if it were me, first of all, I would not set up a situation, this kind of intervention discussion until I had gone to a therapist and said, let me, let me think through this, work on this, get support in this, because we set up opportunities. You might write if you were in there, and I'm not saying you're not in therapy, but if this is your intention and I was working with you, I might ask you to write three or four different letters discussing everything you want to say and then going over it and listening to it and making it sure it's, it's said from where you want to and not just rage, although you may need to rage in a letter. Maybe you write all those, those letters and you don't have any need to send one and do it. You know, I don't know, but I just really think these are big pieces. I wouldn't enter this situation. How are you going to feel after? Who's going to support you? Um, yeah, I, I just think there's, and what about her husband? If she's in a relationship or whatever that is for your friend, how is that going to play out? You know, what are, are you friends with? Are you guys friends with the couple? I mean, there's so many pieces here. Or family. So Sometimes the families, families are interconnected. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Anyway, Tammy, go ahead. You since you started. Well, no, I just, I, I was thinking the same thing. And I actually had the thought of writing a letter because I thought I'd want to make sure I was really clear. And I don't know if I would send it or if I, so, but you did a disclosure. So presumably it was a formal therapeutic disclosure with the support of professionals. So I, like Dr. Rob said, would lean into your professional. If it's a good idea today, it'll be a good idea tomorrow. So like being reactionary, um, you know, you, you don't, you, you won't want to do that because, you know, I could tell that you care about, you know, how, how you handle this. So I'm grateful for that. And 
Um, so I think being thoughtful, making sure you're well supported and well advised on, and I think at some point you'll go, this feels true and authentic and the right way to handle it as you're discussing it with your professional, as you're writing the letters, you know, okay, that voice wasn't quite right. This one feels better, but I think, I think you'll find the right tone of what the message should be. And then who delivers it, you know, I, that's up to you, but yeah, grieving the loss of all of that, you know, and, and, um, and, you know, what, what should be as you move forward, you know, in a relationship with your, you know, with your friend, you know, that's, that's gone too. So, but you're, you're here and there's good support for you. So I'm, I'm grateful you're here. So ready for the next yeah, one. I just wanted to add a couple of things. I, I sure. have had other spouses talk about the violation when it was my, my sister-in-law's friend and we met them every holiday or it was, you know, my, anywhere you're someone, my neighbor who my spouse talked to for years and we had kids to get, you know, that's, that's one of the, the, the double betrayal I really do get. And a couple of things I wanted to write uh, down to say to you is one, you're not neutral. I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, I'm reading things like years of acting out have caused one more major loss and it seems so unfair. Someone who's in that place is not ready to really stand back and say, how do I wanna manage this situation? Um, so um, just a, there's a lot of feelings, definitely they're in here and active. Um, the other thing is what you said, um, I will be ending the friendship so because uh, I can no longer see her in the same way. So I think she ended the friendship 25 years ago, wherever this happened. And then she's been lying to you this entire time, not just about her behavior, but about your spouse. And she didn't want to deal with the mess that she had made. So I'm just so things you're going to grieve the relationship you never really had with her because you think it was this, but it actually wasn't because she was lying to you. And then the relationship you're not going to have because it's not safe. Um, yeah, so much there and so sad. Tally. But I'm glad you're here and hopefully you're leaning into, there's the old lady posse tomorrow, they named it, I didn't. Um, uh, hopefully you're online at on sexandrelationshiphealing.com for that. Wednesday afternoon, there's another one. Thursday morning, there's another betrayed partner. So there's, there's a lot. So please lean in. Okay. Actually, can I say one, one more thing about affairs? So, and this is may not be your truth. It may not be universal, but I just want to say it is, is it often happens that when a man betrays a woman and the woman knows who that person is, let's say it's a neighbor or whatever it is, that all of their hate and focus and rage gets focused on on the person who did it, on the other woman, so to speak. And I think, and by the way, we, people who cheat, we encourage you to put all that focus on this person, because if you're going to be angry, you might as be, might as well be angry at them. And then we tell you things like, well, they flirted with me and they, this and that, when actually we're the ones who started the whole thing. So, um, you know, I, I just, um, anyway, my heart goes out to you. There's so many parts of that. Um, but it seems a little bit too worried about him and maybe not enough about you. So, yes. Give support for you. Next question. My SALA husband left for treatment three weeks ago. He's at the gratitude program in Mississippi uh, for eight weeks. Wow. He's been seeing a CSAT therapist since December. I'm trying to focus on my recovery while also working a full-time job and taking care of our four-month-old son. Wow. But it's very difficult. I get to speak to my husband for a few minutes in the evenings, and we have our first couple session tomorrow. It seems as though he's making progress, and I'm hopeful and I miss him, but I can't help but be fearful that he'll come home Mm. and nothing will change. Any recommendations on how to stay focused on positive and set things up for success when he comes home? 
Well, I think you got to go first on this one, Tammy. Oh, I'm having if, a hard time. I'm like, can. this is why we have a 14, 21 or 28 day program and it's expert treatment. So I am hopeful for you and your husband, but that's a really long time to be gone. Now they, they, you know, our treatment team, we have a family specialist. They reach out to you. Wait, wait, they, wait, let's, let's go ahead. I want to stop. No, I was going to say, no, I, I want to say they may, they should have all of the support there for you to help the well, you, okay but there's a I'll lot more off. going on here. okay i'm sorry no no it's okay no, it's just I, I i wanted to see if you were allowing yourself to express your feelings and thoughts about this and i think that you did so i want to be more direct um because okay. i really don't care where'd you Everything's go going off at once i don't know okay. things are buzzing okay um so first of all before you consider um, refer uh, going to a program, I think you need need to really research. Like, does there is Dr. Karn still there? Is he? By the way, I I wonder who if that was said. That's a whole other set of issues, Tammy. You know, like if someone at intake said, "Oh yes, Dr. Karn." Anyway, Dr. Patrick Karns has not been at Pine Grove for eight or ten years, maybe, and that's why they changed the name of the program because Channel Path is something that he owns, and it went with him. And the people and work that they're doing there is probably three or four or more generations old, because something that someone else taught five years ago, someone learned from somebody. And I've heard I'm just not a fan of that program, and I think they they misrepresent themselves. I would never take anyone for eight weeks off the bat. I, I can't imagine extending, unless someone has, it, it can't function. They're so mentally ill or so traumatized that they can't work. They can't leave the house. No one has to take care of them. Um, or they're truly mentally ill and like really manic and need meds and containment. And, but your average addict, can, you know, sex addict, unless they're deeply involved with drugs as well, two or three weeks tops, maybe four depending on how much trauma they have and if other issues are involved um, and how much a family might be involved. But beyond four weeks, there would have to be a really good reason why I would keep taking your money or your insurance company's money. Oh, did I say that there are places that take money to keep people longer when they might not even need to be there? So I'm really sorry to say that I can't really say good things or give you hope about the situation that you're in at all. I will also say that it's a trap for partners because um, you all know that I am not a fan of codependency, that I don't believe in codependency. And I think if I work harder and hard enough, there won't be any more words like that in the language. So what these, the way that you can get trapped with these programs is if you call and you say, well, why does he need to be there so long? And he seemed to be not that bad. It was just the hooker or whatever. They're going to say, well, why are you getting involved with treatment? You're being codependent and you're trying to control and we're the professionals. And so, and this is how people get screwed by corporate healthcare. <laughs> there, I said it. So I would really want to be much more active, a member of his treatment. And like Tammy said, you know, we have a separate, I mean, because this is good work, we have a separate family therapist and someone specifically there for you and the spouses, someone who's there to tell you that your spouse is here and how they're doing and set up family sessions. And, you know, and you should be, I think spouses should be highly involved in treatment that we really want to learn from you what's going on, what you've been through. We want your voice in treatment. We, you, and the reason I say this to me is because I've heard some things about that particular program where spouses are completely in the dark. You know, it's, uh, we'll check in with you, or if you keep asking us too many questions, you're codependent. 
And what about the regular uh, couples work that can go on, especially now in Zoom? Anyway, I don't, I'm ranting. <laughs> so Tammy, how would you suggest that this person in this situation, hearing so, this from yes. me, what, what would you, yes. how would you advise them? So I'm going to take a deep breath. We have had a number of guys who've already been through the long program and it's not just that one. So like, you know, there, you name a program, we've had um, people that have come to us afterwards and they've talked about how different a program is, but you have a four-year-old son. So the, so here's what I would self-care for you and take care of your, your little baby. Those are your, your primary things. And, you know, he, he's there for eight weeks, you know, worrying about after he gets back from eight weeks is not going to help you with your stress level or dealing with a four month old son who's not sleeping through the night. So, you know, there's, so hopefully you've got family and good support that can help hold you and hopefully you can get a break, you know, like you deserve a break too, you know, cause you're kind of single Well, you're very much single parenting right now. And for, you know, for uh, quite a, quite a bit of time, you know, we have the clients, we tell them news, weather, and sports. I'd keep it, you know, keep it really, um, uh, simple so that it isn't stressful. You, you don't need to hear what he, you know, told his therapist in treatment today. That's absolutely should be off the, you know, off the list. Cause you don't need to be traumatized and have that to worry about all night till the next night. So, um, but I mentioned all the free resources, you know, we have people that listen to the podcast, you know, if it's two o'clock in the morning and you're feeding your baby, you know, throw a podcast on and get some, you know, something good that's helpful for you to help soothe you, help you know that there is hope. Now, as much, you know, and we aren't just trashing programs. I know it sounded like that and we don't mean to, but, but really there is hope. We know <laughs> lots of, of people that do heal. You know, we, we, you know, I, I can give you bunches of examples. You know, our alumni talk about it being life change. I, I, people can change. I'm in recovery. I've changed. You know, I want to continue to learn and grow. So, so the more you can um, be doing the things that take care of you, that nurture you, and then take care of your baby, you know, just know that your plate is full just dealing with that. So, but hopefully you get some good guidance from, um, from your treatment team as well. So. Okay. And I wanted to add, you know, putting all of those things aside. And, but I will say this, the reason that I get frustrated about this is because I'm very passionate about people getting the help they need. And especially anyone who has some kind of copay with their insurance and ends up, or someone has to pay cash and they end up spending thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm sorry, that's the way our system is. I hate it too, but they at least need to get really, really good work. And when I hear the cash going in the box, but nobody's really delivering the work that is needed or keeping people longer than they need to, it's very frustrating for me. It's why we started our own program because we did not want to be involved in the corporate insurance mess that is going on. So I, I'm sorry, I just very mistrustful and kind of angry at that system. But I did want to answer your question from, you know, just from a pure health perspective, which is, I think Tammy said, like, the more you can get yourself together and on the right track for yourself, the, that's the best gift that you can give your spouse when, when, when they, when he comes back, you know, do you have, you know, a, a Friday night, um, movie night with some friends where someone else is watching your kid? Do you have a Sunday hiking group that you go to? In other words, are you involved plus work? And I know you have a child. I know you're very engaged, but you also need, but you're also under, under tremendous stress and you're alone. So you need to not only go to therapy and deal with what he's doing, you know, you need to also have a little bit of fun and a little bit of distraction. Um, 
And the only other piece for this is I worry about your finances um, with a young child. And, you know, uh, I just hope that you have the resources to do all of this. I will well, and I'm going to tell you on the betrayed partner groups, those are via Zoom. They're not recorded. And I've subbed in on those. And there have been moms with young kids, you know, running around or, you know, feeding them. So it's you, you are welcome uh, to join those. So there's no boys on, in there. There's no boys in, well, there's certain that are co-ed but the rest of them are like the right. the you know a number of them are not so okay next question how do you deal with constant sexual fantasies on a daily basis is there a way to turn your thinking around it's frustrating yeah i'd be really curious how old this person is because i know and i'm just completely aside from sex addiction but you're going to be a lot more in fantasy when you are 23 than you are when you're 43. And so some of this can be for some people age related or at least the drivenness of it because testosterone really, really does make us different than when we have less of it. And, um, but part of what I wanna say is welcome to being human. People have sexual fantasies all the time. I see someone on TV, I see someone walk by. I mean, it's not like I take it to some extreme where we're you know, with each other for an hour but I might pass somebody in the street, by the way, as a recovering sex addict, I'm going to pass someone in the street and say, oh, you know, that they're attractive. I can imagine this or that. And the worst thing I can do is beat myself up for that. The worst thing I can do is say, what's wrong with me? Because I'm really reasonably healthfully experiencing my own sexuality, not acting it out, but thinking about it. However, that is very different from staring at people, from being in obsession for hours, from acting out on the fantasies, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So there's a difference between seeing someone attractive and thinking, well, that'd be fun and then moving on and then obsessing about it, masturbating to it, trying to find someone who looks like that person, uh, walking around behind them, trying to connect with them, you know, actions. Um, so, um, and I think just the very question, how do you deal with it, tells me that you're going in the wrong direction because it's, you know, it's like, don't think of the elephant in the room. Now you all think about is elephants. You know, this is your focus. And because you're so focused on it, it's all you're going to see. So I would say focus on other people and get support uh, with them and for them. Um, so stop trying to turn your thinking around. Uh, it is impossible to do. But what you can do, because no addict ever recovered by not doing things, is what are you doing that makes you feel good about yourself in the world? See, I'm speaking Tammy's language now. Go ahead, Tammy, you uh -huh. say it. Look at this. Go Act ahead. your way into good thinking. You can't think your way into good acting. So I, yeah, I'm 100% nodding my head going, yep, that's, yeah, like I'm, so here's another resource. And I'm, we started a porn addiction 101 because I'm assuming this might be a porn addict. So uh, the, the porn addiction 101 work group we started um, this this month. We're going to do another one um, in mid October. Now, this is for guys who have um, just it's online, you know, uh, cam boys, cam girls, porn, but it hasn't been affairs or you know acting out with you know with people. So, um, so um, in real life, so that may be something that's really helpful for you. But I was thinking you're focused on not doing that. This, not, I can't do this, right. but you're not focused on the rest of the world. What are you doing to actively gauge in the real world, you know, rather than just uh, your fantasy. So, you know, I've shared before, you know, I go hiking, I go 
I go running, I go, I go, I go do things, you know, and connect with other people. I pay attention when I like the background on mine, I, I stop when I'm running and it's not just to get a break, but cause I go, Oh my gosh, that's an amazing sunrise. I need to take a picture. That's cause I'm paying attention to that. You know, I'm not just thinking about you know how horrible running is in the moment. So the more I focus on external things like that, the less I'm worried about, you know, am I thinking the right thing or doing the right thing like that? So that was but yeah, act your way into good thinking. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.